स्वामी निखिलानंद इज अ डिसाइपल ऑफ जगत गुरु श्री कृपालूजी महाराज ही रिजाइड एट राधा माधव धाम इन ऑस्टन टेक्सस व्हिच इज द यूएस आश्रम ऑफ जगत गुरु कृपालू परिषद ही ट्रैवल्स अमेरिका प्रीचिंग द फिलोसफी ऑफ सनातन धर्म एज टॉट बाय श्री कृपालूजी महाराज इन दिस सीरीज ऑफ लेक्चर्स स्वामी निखिलानंद एक्सप्लेन्स द थ्री पाथ्स टू गॉड कर्म ज्ञान एंड भक्ति He reveals the scriptural teachings behind each path and tells which path is the best one to follow. So far in this series on the three paths to God, I explained to you why there are only three paths to God because God is satchit anand. So the path of karma relates to God's sat quality. the path of gyan relates to his chit quality and the path of bhakti relates to his anand quality and since we are ansh of sat chit anand brahm therefore we also find our way to god through one of these three paths first we looked at the path of karma and understood that karma on its own is not enough to take us to god that we have to do karma yog which means adding bhakti into karma because karma means good actions which take you only as high as swarg but not beyond so you remain under maya so if you want to be free from maya and you want to attain god then you have to add bhakti in then your karma becomes karma yoga and karma yoga can take you to god realization then we moved on to the path of gyan So yesterday I started by telling you that if you research gyan and the path of gyan in our Hindu scriptures you'll find both praise and criticism for gyan. Gyan means knowledge. So I started in order to explain why this is so I told you that there are two kinds of gyan. There is theoretical knowledge and there's experiential knowledge and keep in mind that i'm talking about spiritual knowledge in this case although in the material world we also have theory and then we have practice and experience but when we talk of the path of gyan and attaining god that only has to do with spiritual knowledge i've had people ask me before that I'm a scientist. I do research. So I'm in the field of knowledge. So does that mean I'm following the path of gyan? The answer is no. The material knowledge is a completely separate field. When we talk about the path of gyan, it's spiritual knowledge, the knowledge about God and soul in the Vedas, Gita and other Hindu scriptures. <coughs> so In regards to gyan there is theory and then there's actual practice and experience. So I told you that where we find criticism for gyan in the scriptures it's for that gyan which is only theory. It's for those so-called gyanis who never put the theory into practice. So for them the knowledge of our scriptures becomes like a poison. it's meant to be a medicine it ends up being a poison you see even in the world you have a shelf go in a pharmacy they keep all the strongest medicines locked up 
behind the counter. You have to have doctor's permission and instructions in order to get some of that strongest medicine. Because if not taken properly, it becomes poison. The same medicine can kill you or make you very sick. In the same way, the knowledge of our scriptures is a very strong medicine that has to be taken with the correct guidance. So I also explained to you that that means with the guidance of a God-realized saint. All of our scriptures warn this. From Vedas to Gita to Bhagavatam to Ramayana, they all say, do not read me unless you can fulfill certain basic requirements, one of those being that you need the guidance of a God-realized saint. Otherwise, the same knowledge which is meant to take us towards God takes us away from God because it just becomes a source of pride for us. And that pride is like poison on the path of God, on the path to God, because the path to God is about humbleness. It's our humbleness that brings us close to God and our pride that is an obstacle and takes us farther away from Him. So the, the true knowledge and the true jnani is the one who understands that theory from a God-realized saint and then puts it into practice. So, for instance, for us as ordinary people who hear this knowledge... How, what are some of the ways that we might put it into practice just in our day-to-day -day lives? For instance, we know that getting angry doesn't just hurt the people we're angry at, it hurts us. It burns our heart, it puts us in a bad mood, it could ruin our day. So how do we use knowledge to overcome that? When someone's doing something that is going to make us angry or we start to feel like we're going to get angry, remember that God also resides in their heart. That's the knowledge, right? God resides within every soul. So if we hate someone, then it's like we've forgotten the knowledge. If we actually remember, oh, God is in this per person's heart as well, then our anger will subside. So you can use knowledge to control your anger. You can use it to try and improve your humbleness. When we start to feel proud about something, we can remember that God is the one giving life to my soul. If God were not giving me life, I wouldn't even have the power to lift my hand or think a single thought. So whatever I can do, I do with His grace. So there's no reason to be proud. We can improve our humbleness. If I'm about to do something wrong, like you heard in the story of the Pandit yesterday, I can call on my knowledge that God is omnipresent, so He sees and knows everything I do. So even if I think I'm alone and I can do something wrong but get away with it, if I remember the correct knowledge, then I know that that's not true. I remember that God is watching me right now, so then I refrain from doing the wrong thing. Another way we can apply the knowledge is by remembering what is our ultimate goal and where is happiness. This is something we have to do every day if we're really applying the knowledge. Our desires are natural. We have a natural desire 
for happiness. So we should remember that true happiness is in God, not in the world. We have talked about this at length in previous speeches. So applying that knowledge means when I start running towards something in the world, hoping that it will give me happiness, then you apply the knowledge and you just remember, no, the world is not the source of happiness, God is the source of happiness, and you redirect your desires towards God. You still do what you have to in the world, but you don't direct your desires towards the world. This is what our scriptures teach us, and we're meant to apply that on a daily basis. See, don't think that uh, because theoretical knowledge can also be dangerous, I told you it can be a poison if not taken in the right way, don't think that it's not necessary. It is necessary. It's very necessary. Even on the path of bhakti, jnana is necessary. How will you know what is the path? Why should you follow the path? How to follow the path? Whatever doubts you have along the way, how will you clear all of that up? Only through jnana, knowledge is necessary. It's like if you have a thorn in your foot. You can say that thorn is like agyan, ignorance, our spiritual confusions. How can you get it out? Take a bigger thorn and you can pull out the other thorn that's in your foot and then once you've pulled it out, you can toss both of them away. So what's the bigger thorn? Theoretical knowledge. You use theoretical knowledge to remove your confusions, remove the ignorance, but then once you've applied that theory and gained practical experience, then you can throw both thorns away. The ignorance and the theoretical knowledge. You can throw them both away once you reach a high state of spiritual experience. But until we reach that height, we need the theory along the way. So jnana is very important. Vijnana saratiryastu mana pragrahavan nara sodhana paramapnoti tad Paramam Padam Kathopanishad says it tells us how we're supposed to use the knowledge. It says that this body is like a rat and our soul is riding on this rat, on this chariot. But the driver of the rat, the charioteer, is our buddhi, our intellect. So if the intellect is properly educated, it will direct the chariot towards God and then the soul will attain its ultimate goal. So the driver is the buddhi. Soul is de desiring God, that's fine. But where is that chariot going to go? In what direction? That is completely dependent on what the buddhi understands. So the correct knowledge is anivarya. It's absolutely necessary. We can't do without it. With correct knowledge, then our buddhi directs the chariot towards God. So, if this knowledge is properly applied in our life, it takes us in the right direction. And in fact, the scriptures say that it should lead to love for God. A desire for God and love for God. Sa vidya tan matiryaya. The Bhagavatam says 
that that is true knowledge which leads to love for God. Understand through an example. Let's say there's a man who went to work and while he was at work he has a servant who tends the affairs of his house. So when he got home from work he saw that there's a rock sitting on the dining room table. Just a big rock. What is this servant doing nowadays? Is he losing his mind? (laughs) Why would he put a big rock on my dining room table? So he calls him. Hey, what's going on? What is this? He says, Oh, uh, there was a Babaji who came today. He came to the door and he said, This is a paras. You take this. Paras means it's a touchstone. If you touch that rock to a piece of metal like this, it would become gold. So the owner of the house just shook his head. He said, you believed him, this rock? You think it's a paras? You fool. He took that rock, he went outside the house, and he just chucked it in the backyard. And there in the backyard, there happened to be a couple pots and pans lying around. So the rock rolled, and it came into contact with one of the metal pots, and it turned into gold. And then the man thought, whoa. He went and picked it up, he touched it to the other pot, that turned to gold. His mind was swimming with the possibilities. I could be the richest person on the entire earth. Whatever I want to touch that's metal, I could turn it to gold. He took that and he locked it away where no one would see it and he kept it in the safest place. You see what changed? His knowledge changed. First, he thought it was just an ordinary rock. He had no love for it, no care for it. And he felt no happiness seeing that rock. And then when he knew the true value of the rock, he couldn't lock it up fast enough. He was so attached to it and he was thrilled. He was feeling so much worldly happiness being in possession of that rock. So similarly, if we have faith in the teachings of our scriptures that tell us who God is, and how gracious He is. That He is our eternal, closest relation. And He is unlimited divine bliss, and He's willing to grace any soul who comes to Him, who takes shelter. If we actually had faith in that, in those words of the Scriptures, our love for God would automatically grow exponentially and we'd feel so happy thinking about Him. This is true knowledge. You see how simple the knowledge is? But if we really accept it and take it in our heart, it has a profound effect. And if we don't, then it's useless. If someone just has a theoretical knowledge of the Scriptures and no desire for God, then does he really have knowledge? Let's say there's a parrot whose master taught him the sentence, there are sweet fruit in the jungle. There are sweet fruit to eat in the jungle. There are sweet fruit to eat in the jungle. And that parrot just kept repeating that phrase all day long. But did he ever fly into the jungle and try to taste some of those sweet fruit? No. Why? Because he didn't understand the words he was saying. Either he didn't understand or he didn't have faith in it. If he would have had faith in those words, he would have immediately flown into the jungle and tried to taste some of that fruit. So what do our scriptures tell us? All of our scriptures are for one thing only. 
Dharmo Yasyam Madatmaka to take a soul towards God. And in order to do that, they tell us who is God, how are we related to Him, how God is unlimited divine bliss. So if we truly understand that, then we will desire for God. And if we don't, Yoga ku yoga jnana agyanu jahanahi ram prema paradhanu if the if the scriptural knowledge doesn't lead to a desire for god and love for god then it is not gyan it's agyan according to tulsidas ji naish karmya map Narajji is telling Vedabhyas that that knowledge which doesn't lead to love for Shri Krishna, it's not of much value. Nashobhate. So, since we're talking about the path of Gyan, although Gyan is required for all, whatever path you're going to do, but how is this knowledge, the scriptural knowledge, applied on the actual path of Gyan, and what is this path of Gyan? In other words, now we're taking the theory and we're seeing how is it applied practically on the path of Gyan in order to gain experiential knowledge. So on the path of Gyan, it's a path of contemplation. So what do they contemplate on? Some phrases of our scriptures, like Tattvamasi, Aham Brahmasmi. These are called Mahavakya of Gyan Mark. They're statements of the Vedas, actually. So Tattvamasi means, you are him. You are God. Aham Brahmasmi means I am God. So they meditate on this, on the path of Jnana. It starts with Shravan. Shravan means you listen from your Guru. Your Guru tells you these statements and instructs you on how to con- contemplate on them. And then you do the contemplation, Manan. So first Shravan, then Manan, then Nididhyasan, which means you enter into such a deep state of reflection on them that that's all you're thinking about. And then through this process, eventually you end up in Samadhi, which means a total state of absorption. So, Shravan Manan Nididhyasan Samadhi. Through practicing contemplation in this way on these Mahavakyas, the jnani who's following Jnana Marg, he transcends into deeper levels of consciousness. So, first he's meditating on Tattvamasi, then he goes to the second level. And he starts meditating on Aham Brahmasmi. Then he drops the Aham. In stage 3, he's just saying Brahmasmi. In stage 4, he just says Brahm. Now stage 5, 6, and 7 are the further stabilization of this transcendental consciousness. It's called Sat Bhumi. On the path of Gyan, there are seven stages of consciousness that the Gyani goes through, transcending deeper and deeper into his own 
states of uh, his mind and deeper and deeper beyond the different phases of maya. So eventually when he reaches the seventh stage, that's the end of Gyanmark. What is that called? Atmagyan, knowledge of the self. Now he knows that he is the soul, he is not the body, he is not the mind. He knows I am the divine soul, this body is not me and my, even my mind is not me, I am a soul. So to reach this point he passed many layers of maya. He passed prithvi, then he transcended jal, then he transcended tej, then he transcended vayu, then he transcended akash, and then the final level he was able to transcend is called ahankar, even his own feeling of I am. He even transcended that. And he's just established in a pure state of mind. Now is this liberation? Is he liberated now that he knows his own self? Is he free from Maya? Has he known God? The answer is no. So you have the soul, you have Maya, and beyond Maya is God. So he transcended many layers of Maya. I told you he transcended Prithvi, Jal, Tej, Vayu, Akash, Ahankar, but there's still two more layers of Maya. It's called Mahan and Mool Prakriti Maya. So he has not transcended Mahan or Prakriti. He would have to go beyond those in order to be free from Maya. But he can't. The path of Gyan only takes you up to that level, what I told. Understand it another way. There are two kinds of Maya that bind a soul. One is called Jiva Maya and one is called Guna Maya. So he's able to defeat Jeev Maya, he can't defeat Gunamaya. Jeev Maya is called Swarupa Varika Maya, it means Maya makes you forget who you are. And Vikchepatmika Maya, having forgotten who you are and identifying with the physical body, you then get attached in the world. So the Jnani transcends this. He removes his worldly attachments and he remembers that I am the soul. So he has defeated Jivmaya through his own contemplation and practice of Samadhi. But he cannot defeat Gunamaya. Understand it like this. Maya has three qualities. Sattva, Raj, Tam. So, Sattva, that's the Guna Maya, and Raj and Tam, that's the Jiva Maya. It's also called Vidya Maya, Avidya Maya. So, he can defeat Avidya Maya, he can defeat Tamogun and Rajogun and establish his mind in Sattvagun, but he cannot defeat Sattvagun. To defeat Sattvagun, to de defeat Vidya Maya, he needs the grace of God. See, so far the jnani has been practicing contemplation. That's it. That's the intellectual approach of the path of jnana. Through that he entered into samadhi. Through that he purified his heart and removed his attachments. Established himself in the knowledge of self. 
Atmagyan, but that's it. He couldn't defeat the final layer of Maya. You can say the original veil of Maya. He can't defeat through his own effort. That can only be defeated through the grace of God. Why? Daivihyesha gunamayi mamamaya duratyaya Shri Krishna says this maya is mamamaya, my power. So any power of God and maya functions with the power it receives from God. Therefore, in terms of strength, maya has God's strength. So in order to defeat Maya, someone would have to be strong enough to defeat God. And since no soul is that strong, then no soul can defeat Maya on their own. So the second half of that verse is, Mamevaye prapadyante Maya metam tarantite He says, if that soul surrenders to me, I take him across Maya very simple. The jnani can go to a certain level through his own effort, then he has to surrender to God. God graces him and through his grace he defeats the final level of maya and is liberated. So Gita says Satvat Sanjayate Jnanam Through jnana you can establish yourself in Sattvaguna of maya. Bhagavatam says Kaivalyam Satvikam Proktam, the topmost state of Gyan, where the Gyani is in that state of Samadhi and he knows he is the divine soul, that is only a Satvik state. He's established his material Mayak mind in Satvagun. That's it. He's subsided Rajagun and Tamagun. He has not defeated Satvagun. So, how to do that? Sri Krishna says, Brahma Bhuta Prasannatma Nashochati Nakangshati Samaha Sarveshu Bhuteshu Mad Bhaktim Labhate Param He says that state of Atma Jnana that is also called Brahma Bhutavastha. So Shri Krishna says the Jnani reached that state through his own effort. But now he needs to do one more thing. Mad bhaktim labhate param. He has to do my bhakti. If he does, then bhaktyamam abhijanati yavan yaschasmi tatvata tatomam tatvato gyatva vishate tadanantaram. The very next verse in Gita. He makes it so clear. He says, if he does my bhakti, then bhaktya, bhakti se, through bhakti, mam abhijanati. Mam means me. Abhijanati means he knows me in full. Yash, yavan yashchasmi tattvata. Whatever I am, however I am, he knows me. How? Through bhakti. Why does he have to do bhakti? To get Krishna's grace. Bhakti means surrender. So he can only know him through his grace. How to get his grace? Surrender by doing bhakti. So the jnani also has to do bhakti. That's the 
Main point, conclusion. Gyan is not an independent path. It cannot even take you to liberation, let alone knowing God, without adding in bhakti. So just as karma is incomplete without bhakti, gyan is incomplete without bhakti. See, he knew his own self, but your soul is anch of Bhagwan. So that's only, you only have a fraction of the knowledge. And he can't know God without getting his grace. So through bhakti he gets his grace. And then mam abhijanati means he knows me in full. So then he gets the purnavidya, the total knowledge. So this is why even Shankaracharya has said, Moksha Karana Samagriyam Bhaktireva Gariyasi Vivek Churamani. The cause of liberation is Bhakti, and Bhakti is supreme. These are the words of Shankaracharya, the propounder of the path of Gyan. He goes on to say, Tadanugraha Hetuke Naiva. He tells the Kram, the sequence, that Tadanugraha, through your Anugraha, through God's grace, I got Gyan. What Gyan? Brahma Gyan. See, first you get Atma Gyan, that you can get through your own effort on the path of Gyan. Then you surrender to God and with His grace you get Brahma Gyan. And that Brahma Gyan frees you from Maya. So, let's go back to the original contradictions in the scriptures. You see, I quoted for you, Gyana Devahikaivalyam. You can only get liberation through Gyan. But that Gyan is which Gyan? It's the Brahma Gyan received through God's grace upon doing Bhakti, not the Atma Gyan which is received through your own effort. You understand the difference? Atma Gyan does not give liberation and that's all you can get is Atma Gyan through the path of Gyan. Then you do Bhakti and you get Brahma Gyan and that Brahma Gyan liberates you. You can't get liberation without Gyan, but that Gyan is Brahma Gyan. So now we have two types of experiential knowledge. We have Atma Gyan and Paramatma Gyan or Brahma Gyan. Now what happens if the Gyani doesn't surrender to God? He doesn't do Bhakti. He became Atma Gyani, but he doesn't do Bhakti. What happens? Let's ask Shankaracharya. Arudha yogopi nipatyete He falls. Yen yera vindaksha vimuktamani nastvayastabhavada vishuddha buddhaya aruhya kritchrena Parampadam tata patantyadho nadrita yushmadangraya bhagavatam. He reached the height of jnana, aruhyakrichrena parampadam. 
But because he doesn't surrender to God and ask for his grace, therefore patanti adhaha, he falls down into the world. Because as long as he's in his samadhi, he's fine. See, he enters into samadhi and he's in a thoughtless state. While he's in that state, maya can't bother him. The desires and other emotional attachments of the world, they can't bother him. It's like, let's say you're being chased by bees. And you find a pond and you jump in. So as long as you hold your breath and you're underwater, the bees aren't stinging you. But as soon as you come up, they attack again. So as soon as that Atma Jnani comes out of his Samadhi, Maya is there. So eventually he's going to fall. Maya is going to pull him down. Balada Krishya Mohaya Mahamaya Prayachati our scriptures say that Maya is so strong that it will even pull that Atma Jnani back down into the muck of this Maya. So no one can remain an Atma Jnani forever. Having become Atma Jnani, either you surrender to God and get liberated or eventually you fall back down into this world. So again we see the reason for both praise and criticism for Jnanis in our scriptures. The praise for jnanis is for those jnani bhaktas. The jnani who becomes a jnani yogi, just like the karmi became a karma yogi by adding in bhakti, the jnani becomes a jnani yogi when he surrenders to God. So jnan plus bhakti equals jnani yoga. That can give you liberation and knowledge of God. So the jnani yogi is praised. The Brahma Jnani is praised, not the Atma Jnani or just the theoretical Jnani. So the one of only theoretical knowledge is denounced in the scriptures and the Atma Jnani who thinks he's liberated. Vimukta Manina in Bhagavatam it says that Atma Jnani, he's so happy with his state, he believes himself to be liberated thus he doesn't surrender to God thus he falls so when Shri Krishna says Jnani Tvatmaiva Mematam the Jnani is like my own soul Jnani Prabhuhi Vishesha Piyara Ramayan says the same thing which jnani is he talking about? Sri Krishna tells us plain and simple in the Gita. Chaturvidha bhajante maam jana sukriti norjuna arto jigyasurartharthi jnani cha bharatar shabha. He says there are four kinds of people who worship me. There are those who are in distress and they want my help. There are those who desire liberation and knowledge. There are those who want me to fulfill some worldly desire of theirs. And then there are jnanis. So out of those, tesham, tesham nitya, tesham jnani nitya yukta ekabhakti. Vishishyate. It says out of those four, which is Vishishyate, the Bhakt, 
the jnani bhakt in other words the jnan yogi the one who has knowledge and uses that knowledge to surrender to god he is praised bhagati hina viranchikin hoi sab jeeva hi mohi sam priya hoi bhagati vant ati nichahu prani mohi pran priya asimam bani ramayan the one who has bhakti is praiseworthy the jnani who has bhakti is praiseworthy and if he doesn't have bhakti then again come back to where the jnani is criticized tejad kaam dhenu grihatyagi khojat aaku phirai payalagi leaving the kaam dhenu in the house and going out and wandering in the desert looking for the poisonous milk of the milkweed plant is like not doing bhakti and just trying to attain liberation through just gyan alone it's the same level of foolishness te shath maha sindhu bina tarani pari par chahi jad karani or like leaving the boat behind and trying to swim across the ocean that's like neglecting bhakti and trying to get liberation just through gyan or in vedavyasji's words shreya srutim bhakti mudasyate vibho klishyanti ekeval bodhalabdhaye tesham sau kleshal eva shishyate nanyadyathasthulatushavaghatinam bhagavatam another comparison to the jnani who neglects to do bhakti and expects to get liberation just by following the path of gyan vedavyasji says it's like someone who sees another person pounding rice to remove the actual edible part from the husk and then carries off all the edible part of the rice leaving the husk behind now the person who is watching says oh they got rice by pounding that husk i will also do the same and they take the same husk and they start pounding it trying to get more rice out of it so in the same way a jnani who just neg- neglecting bhakti tries to attain liberation simply by practicing gyan it's just effort and he never gets any result so we see that even on the path of gyan bhakti is necessary you might be surprised to know that a jnani cannot even qualify for the path of gyan without having done bhakti first why because nirvinanam gyana yoga bhagavatam what's the qualification to start on the path of gyan be completely nirvinna nirvinna means no worldly desires or attachments 
See, I told you the jnani has to listen to those mahavakyas, right? His Guruji has to tell him. He does shravan, then he contemplates on it. Then by doing that, he enters into samadhi. This is the practice. But before he can get there, there's a qualification. Before his Guruji will even tell him word one on the path of jnana, he has to be completely detached from the world. No anger, no attachment, no desire. Don't take my word for it, take Shankaracharya's word for it. When explaining the Brahma Sutra, the very first sutra, Athato Brahma Jigyasa, he explained that, you see, it starts by saying Athato, which means Atha Ataha. Now, after this, Brahma Jigyasa, desire to know God. Now, after this, Veda Vyasji wrote this Brahma Sutra. What was he thinking? It's the very first sutra. Well, after what? It's the first sutra. At least if it was the second sutra, you could say now after this, and you'd know that after this must mean after the first sutra, since we're in the second sutra. It's the very first sutra, and he's saying now after this. So after what? Shankaracharya said, Adau nitya nitya vastu viveka pariganyate iha mutra palabhoga viragas tadanantaram shamadi shatka sampatir mumukchutva mitis putam vivek churamani. He says, before you can listen to the knowledge, that you're supposed to contemplate on, there are four other steps you have to do. So before you can do Shravan, Manan, Nididhyasan, Samadhi, first you have to do Vivek, Vairagya, Shamadhi, Shat, Sampatti, Mumukchutva. These are the preliminary steps. It's also called Chatushte Sampan, Sadhan Chatushte Sampan. So you have to qualify first. Otherwise, a true guru will not give you that mantra to meditate on. He'll say, are you sadhan chatushte sampanna? You're not? Okay. Then do, then what? Then do bhakti to become qualified. One time a pandit, a great pandit from Kashi, he came to Shankaracharya wanting him to accept him as his disciple and teach him the path of Gyan. So this Pandit came and he says to Shankaracharya, I want to make you my guru. Will you please make me uh, a disciple? I'm a great scholar. I know so much about Vedas. So Shankaracharya said, first of all, if you truly had knowledge, you would know that knowledge leads to humbleness. And you obviously have no humbleness. He actually challenged Shankaracharya to a Shastrarth. He says, you want to know how much I know? I'll debate the scriptures with you. He says, if you really knew anything, you would be humble. So I'll tell you what. In order to qualify for this path, go to Govardhan Hill. And for one whole year, do Parikrama of Govardhan, not talking to anybody, just begging for some food from people, and just saying Radhe Sham, Radhe Sham, Radhe Sham all the time for one year and then come back to me. 
So after a year, that Pandit came back and he was on his way. Shankaracharya from his ashram saw through the window that it's been a year and now this Brahman is coming back. So he told the Bhangan outside, the lady who was sweeping, that uh, you see this uh, Brahman who's approaching, when he comes close, what I want you to do is you just make the dust that you're sweeping actually fly up on him. And he gave her five rupees. We're talking about 2,500 years ago. Five rupees was a lot of money then. He gave her five rupees because otherwise why would she do it? <laughs> no one's going to do that on purpose. She'll know she'll get scolded. The guy's going to get angry, obviously. So she said it's worth it for five rupees. So when that Brahmin came close, she just with the dust right up on him. He was shocked. Are you serious? Can't you see I'm walking here? You put that dust on me. He became so angry at her. And then after scolding her, he entered Shankaracharya's ashram and said, Guruji, I'm ready now. <laughs> so Shankaracharya said, No, you're not. Look at how much anger you have. Go again for a whole year and follow the same instructions. In other words, do more bhakti. So he went for a whole year. Following his instructions, he performed bhakti for a whole year. And again he came back after a year. And Shankaracharya saw him coming. And this time he went to that bhangan and he said, just making the dust come up on him this time won't be enough because he's progressed. He's purified his heart through bhakti. So that won't be enough to make him angry. This time actually touch him with the broom. And he gave her ten rupees. So when he came close, she was sweeping, came closer and closer, and actually not only made the dust fly up on him, but made contact with his leg, with the broom. So then he again started to scold her, and then he realized, oh. And he stopped, and he went in the ashram. But he did growl at her. So he entered the ashram with his head down and he knew what was coming and Shankaracharya says, no, you're still not ready, you're still growling at people, so you go back and do more bhakti. So, after another year of bhakti, the Brahman came back and when Shankaracharya saw him coming, this time he told that Bhangan, giving her 25 rupees that this time you take the entire dustbin that you've been collecting and you dump it on his head. She was shocked. Really? But 25 rupees? I'll do it for 25 rupees. Okay. So when that Brahmin came, she just walked up beside him and emptied the whole thing on his head. Can you imagine? And this time he fell at her feet and said, Ma, you are my first guru. You have brought me you you have brought me to Shankaracharya, you have made me qualified to receive his knowledge. So then when he entered the ashram, Shankaracharya said, Now you're qualified. So this is Gyan Mark. Compare Bhakti Mark. Nanirvino Nati Sakto Bhakti Yogosya Siddhida Bhagutam. Don't be completely nirvin and don't be completely asakt. It means don't be so asakt in the world that you have no desire for God. But don't be completely detached from the world either. So who's qualified for bhakti? 
everybody, all of us sitting here, we all have some desire for God and none of us are completely detached. So in other words, the qualification for bhakti is very easy. Everybody qualifies. And the qualification for jnana is next to impossible. How many of us sitting here would be qualified for jnana? In the whole world, how many people would be qualified for Gyanmarg? So even the qualification. Now you see, what I'm describing is pure Gyanmarg. Nowadays there are so many people talking of Gyan. Trying to meditate on Tattvamasi, Aham Brahmasmi. They don't even know the qualification. There are gurus teaching this, giving such mantras to anyone and everyone just coming in off the street. They're not following the example of Shankaracharya. So this is true Gyanmarg. True Gyanmarg has a very high qualification, is a very difficult path to follow, takes hundreds or thousands of years to even become an Atma Gyani, and then at the end you have to do Bhakti anyway to get God's grace, to get Brahma Gyan and get liberated. So we see that even on the path of Gyan, Bhakti is a requirement. This is why the Vedas say that without Bhakti, nothing is possible. Bhakti revainam nayati, Bhakti revainam pasyati, Bhakti revainam darshayati. Veda says, you want to meet God, do Bhakti. You want to have God's darshan, do Bhakti. Gita says, Purusha sapara partha bhaktya labhyasmananyaya. You want to attain God? Do bhakti. Bhaktyatmananyaya shakya ahame vamvidhor juna gyatum drashtuncha tatvena praveshtuncha parantapa. Gita, through ananya bhakti, Krishna says, you can know me. You can attain me, you can enter into me, all through bhakti. Bahunam janmanamante gyanavan mam prapadyate vasudeva sarvamiti samahatma sudurlabha gita. After thousands of lifetimes of practicing Gyanmarg, finally that Gyanvan, Purush, that Gyani, what does he do? Mam Prapadyante, he surrenders to Krishna. Then he knows him. Then he enters into him. The Ramayan says the same thing. Sadhak Siddha Vimukta Udasi Kavi Kovid Kritadya Sanyasi Yogi Sur Sutapas Gyani Dharmanirat Pandit Vigyani Tarahina Binuseye Mam Swami Ram Namami 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 Tulsidasji says everybody, jnani, yogi, vimuk. Vimuk means the atma jnani who thinks he's liberated. They all have to do bhakti to my Lord Ram. 
इन गीता तपस्विभ्योधिको योगी ज्ञानिभ्योपी मतोधिका कर्मिभ्यश्चाधिको योगी तस्माद्योगी भवार्जुन Here yogi means the one who surrenders to God. In other words, a bhakt. So he says the karmi has to become a bhakt. The jnani has to become a bhakt. The tapasvi has to become a bhakt. Everybody has to do bhakti. Bari mathe baru hoya ghrita sikatate baru tela Binu hari bhajana na bhavatariya yaha siddhantaya pela Ramayana Even if someone could do other impossible things like churning water and getting butter or squeezing a rock and getting oil even if they could do that they still couldn't cross this ocean of maya without doing bhakti to my Lord Ram Bhaktya hamekaya grahya bhagavatam. Shri Krishna says, I am only attainable through bhakti. What about other paths? Nasadhayati mam yogo nagyanam dharma uddhava. Naswadhyayas tapastyago yatha bhaktir mamorjita. I am only conquered by bhakti, Shri Krishna says in the Bhagavatam. I am not attainable through any other means. Gyan, yoga, dharma, karma, study, not through any means. So we see that bhakti is required. Now the jnani who does bhakti is called a gyan yogi. So he is worshipping God, but he is worshipping God in his formless form. And the bhakti yogi, he is worshipping God in his personal form. But both are worshipping God. Both are doing bhakti. So now the question is, what is the better way of worshipping God? By doing, worshipping God in his personal form as a bhakti yogi or by worshipping God in his impersonal, formless form as a jnana yogi, which one is better? That's what we need to know. And luckily for us, Arjun asked this very question to Krishna in the Gita. So what Shri Krishna told him, you will find out tomorrow.